Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. Hi everybody, lovely to see you, another group this week. It's nice to see your faces and I'm glad you're all keeping well. Well, um, I hope you enjoyed that first little clip that's going to set our scene for uh, today. And uh, if you're wondering, you know, it's context, please have a look on our blog page because you'll see then what went on last week. You're able to uh, read and also see all the video clips as well. So you'll you'll be able to connect it all together. But um, last week we were talking about how chaos can be the catalyst for change in our lives. And we introduced you to a little girl called Boo, which is part of that story in Monsters, Inc. And uh, she entered by mistake, really, into the monster world called Monstropolis and uh, changed it, basically, forever. Uh, So up to this point, what you've just seen there, the monster society is fueled by fear. And uh, the screams of little children... As the story goes, a monster is assigned based on the specific fears of each child in order to extract the most superior scream. And these screams are then bottled up in those batteries and stored in order to make the monster world go round. So that's the basic story. But like it said in that advert, the the company are finding that children aren't as easy to scare anymore. And so they must entertain much more unethical ways of getting the power they need to sustain their monster energy needs. Now, does that sound familiar? Because often, isn't it, and uh, we'll talk about this some more tonight, I think I know of some uh, scary systems that always seem to frighten the wits out of us, but then we, when we seem to get used to it, they find an even greater way of extracting that fear from us. Anyway... There's some meaty discoveries to be made in this film as we are faced with what's called scream science, which adheres to the very same principles as our own human reality. Our world derives its power from fear and religions of any sort seem to do well as they cash in on our human tendency towards negativity bias. And we find it far easier, excuse me, to blame than to forgive. But there was always an alternative power source right under their noses. Uh, There was a better way. And it soon becomes evident in the film that something happened to the electricity when the little girl, Boo, uh, instead of screaming, she squealed with delight. And this revelation would revolutionise the scare industry and turn the scare floor into a laughter floor, which brought their energy crisis to an end. It's a lovely story, but does it work? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. You see, uh, 
in another, uh, it was, it's actually a computer game where Randall, who is the baddie in the film, for those who have seen it, you know what I'm talking about, but the baddie in the film, he says uh, that he's going back to his old ways because the, you know, the, they introduced this idea of laughter being more powerful than the screams. But he goes back to his old ways as he is convinced that laughter is not sustainable. And maybe he has a point. Why is that? Because he goes on to say that once, and then this is a quote, Junior, meaning a little child, has chorted his last chortle, then you've got to start over. Joy doesn't last, but negative energy, like hurt and blame, he says. Give them something that breaks their little hearts and they'll say, stay sad forever. Wow, that's quite interesting, isn't it? So, joy and laughter may be 10 times more powerful, but the natural negativity bias that produces the fear and screams in us is far more consistent we run out of things to laugh at. We forget what brought us joy, but we can remember negative emotions like they just happened. They stick around much longer. We pay more attention to them and ruminate over them five times longer than any happy thought and often never get over them. Wow. So when Jesus entered our world... He revolutionized the religious scare floor of his day and turned it into a place of love, joy and inclusion. But what did religion do with him? It used him to create yet another scare tactic to manipulate and to control. And that's why our religion has a field day because it appeals to our need for a scapegoat, whether it be ourselves or others. So here at Q, we want to represent a group of people who have together revolutionised the religious scare floor of our time into a place of joy and laughter. But sometimes it feels that without the manipulation that fear brings, we find ourselves in an energy crisis. But here at Q, we won't be tempted to engage in unethical ways we are not, as Mr. Noose, Water Noose said at the beginning, prepared to do anything to stop the business from going under. Love and laughter is not the easy option. Those muscles tend to get neglected as we go about our lives. But it's the only option that holds a lasting solution to the pains of our world. So in this next clip we're going to see, which is going from the child approach, which is much more traditional and, and more adult, um, and it, it just gives you another angle of it. We see the depths to which religion uh, has plunged to keep people manipulated by fear as we embark on our quest tonight. All right, it's good to see you all today. Um, that clip's from the, the movie Luther about the life of Martin Luther, the reformer in the 1500s. And uh, I'll come back to that in a little while, maybe in the next talk. Just uh, as a practical issue, of course, we are monitoring the situation to uh, 
uh, try and keep you safe. <clears throat> we don't see any reason why we shouldn't meet together. There's no uh, legislative reason why we're not allowed. We have the right to choose. Uh, even more than 30 people is not a legislation for us, hence the reason why we're not restricting numbers. Also, uh, you know, uh, we've got plenty of space, you know, in the balcony and wherever, so everybody can find <clears throat> the place that they feel the safest in. Uh, as well, just so that um, you also know what's part of the behind the thinking is we have an extremely low infection rate in York. Okay, very, very low. To say it, the first two cases were diagnosed here, we have a very low infection rate. And um, uh, because of that, you know, actually the infection rate all the way through is, is less than one half of 1% in York. And the deaths in York are very tiny. They are uh, around 0.04% of the population. So uh, you, you can't eliminate risk. In York, you're probably more likely now to be hit by a bus on the way home uh, than you are to get COVID in here. Okay, so I'm saying that because we've done our research, we're doing our best, but we're making every provision possible to keep you safe, want you to feel comfortable. And for those joining us online who are not able to be here because you are um, uh, uh, protecting yourselves and, and also our wider audience, we welcome you also. And we'll be staying in touch with, uh, with the situation as it goes along. I think the classic line adopted as the corporate statement for Monsters Incorporated, we scare because we care could be claimed to be something that we should embrace because it's for the overall good of the community. You see, we're in a situation where this actual application of authority and power has something of a personal impact upon us because I could easily argue that one of the things that has happened even in the current situation with COVID is we scare because we care. But you see, the, the realms that that falls into is a realm that the church has been familiar with uh, for most of its existence, which is the power of fear. And the power of fear is very easy to introduce, very difficult to extract. And the idea in this, in Monsters, Inc., of energy created from fear and screams Seems like a far-fetched fantasy from a kid's storybook, but it's very, very real and very, very common. See, there's, there's, an, there's an energy created by fear that seems difficult to replicate by any other means. Uh, part of our challenge as Q comes because we will not use the gospel of fear to attempt to attract people or keep people. But you need to understand that throughout its history, since the very early times, all religious functions have relied on an element of fear in order to keep people attached. From the beginning of time, all societies and religions, right, both, have used fear as their favoured tool for conversion and control. I came into this because if you don't give your life to Jesus, you will suffer in hell for all eternity. That was quite a good sales pitch. It was a lot stronger sales pitch to me than God loves you and he wants you to have a full life. It was a little more convincing to me as a young person. But societies, not just religions, have worked on the same principle and still do. Pretty much all ideologies 
have tried to do the same. Like it or not, this tends to the creation of religion around themselves. You see, you may think a religion is just like Christianity, but everything which has an ideology risks becoming a religion and begins to function in the same way that religions function. Science can become a religion and has become a religion to some because it becomes a dogma that cannot be questioned. Just, just from a personal perspective, I have nothing against science. I have some very, very close and wonderful scientist friends. But I do get a little upset when we talk as though televangelists are rogues, but scientists are saints. See, when there is hundreds of millions of dollars of research funding, when there is the opportunity to become famous and sell a book and make your name prominent, when there are prizes... For ideas, please don't tell me that in the realm of science, scientists are not tempted by the inner unctions of human personality, which is for fame and fortune and to be known. It happens. Now, I, I love science. I believe in science. I study science. I love Christianity. I love studying lots of things. What I'm saying is that every ideology ultimately in some form becomes a religion and at the root of that religion, you have to keep the followers. And the best way to keep the followers is by fear. fear. Know, whether I agree or not with climate science, nobody's going to tell you in the science field, it's all okay, folks. Because there's nothing to be gained. Do you understand what I'm saying with this? So what I'm trying to get through to you is how powerful fear is as a tool and as a weapon. So fears and screams... Rather than love and laughter, were the means of fueling their community on Monster Sink. You know, you'll never hear on an advert when you've seen the famines around the world, people suffering. Have you ever heard anybody come and tell you and say, "Hey, if you love kids, give us a tenner"? <laughs> What's the approach? This is horrible. It's happening, and really, it's your fault. And if you don't do something about it, you will be responsible for the death of these people. So please send money to, to what we would have called appeal music when we were more evangelical in our approach. Wouldn't it be nice if, if they could just come on and say to us, listen, if you love kids, we're trying to help kids, give us a tenner. But do you see how fear is used in all elements of the two? We're still and have always been in the grip of, of a religion of one kind or another. But in the words of the 70s song, uh, uh, Where is the love? Roberta Flack, Where is the love? was echoed by uh, uh, Black Eyed Peas as well. Where is the love? It's like love and forgiveness, listen to me on this carefully, it's like love and forgiveness and acceptance are being eroded in the very areas where they're the only true lasting solution to the problems we are trying to resolve. Forgiveness seems an unpopular subject at the moment. But I still side with Martin Luther King on his views about love and forgiveness. I still side with Nelson Mandela in what he says about forgiveness. Fear will make you behave in ways and believe things that are not conducive to cultural cohesion, but rather to control. The Luther clip, which we saw, 
is a frightening example of how unethical ways are used to maintain a system which extracts from people that which they should have never have to nor need to pay. So that guy was a guy called Tetzel, who's a real guy who in the Middle Ages was selling what were called indulgences, which was if you wanted to escape the fires of hell or had a loved one, you could pay money to the Catholic Church and the Pope would issue you an indulgence that you could then show to God when you died that you'd contributed to the building of St. Peter's in Rome. But you see, did you notice how the clip, what it relied on was the instilling of fear in order to get you to respond, not on love. The more accustomed people become to the scare methods, the more unethical the methods that had to be adopted to acquire the same result became prominent. We scare because we care is the mantra of monsters. And it's monsters in church, it's monsters in society, it's monsters in government, it's monsters in ideologies. We scare because we care is not an acceptable gospel of truth. And it's not the ethos of Q, and it's not the Christ message. Oh, dark. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm back again. We're engineering things to... Uh, Try and fit in with the situation so you can work with us. Nice to hear Georgia again. Miss that. Miss that excitement. You know, it is interesting that um, fear and screams are much easier to achieve than joy and laughter. And um, part of our reason for talking about this renewal of energy today is because of our own recognition, both in the situation as a nation and also in our journey as a church, as a people together, that um, as we have adjusted our viewpoint on the gospel, we want to ensure that it leads us to the place of where joy and laughter are much easier achieved than screams and fear. Um, it's interesting that from a psychological perspective, negativity is an involuntary mental response. Some of it comes from, you know, our um, evolutionary history when, uh, you know, we were afraid of Russells in the bus bushes, not, not Russell as in the boy Russell off up. Um, you know, Russells are okay, but not those Russells. We were afraid of rustles in the bushes because it could be, it could be a, um, an animal that could devour us. It could be an enemy that was waiting for us. Although one of the funny things is the more they study anthropology, the more I realize you are more at risk from an animal than you were from a human. And we have misrepresented the human race because of our anxieties about fears that actually at the root of humanity, there is an inherent goodness and kindness of where most people want to help most people, not try and take advantage of them and kill them. But the ones we see the most are those who want to take the advantage and those who want to cause harm from a, a, a narcissistic power-based perspective. Uh, but my belief about you guys is that, uh, is that there is an incredible amount of goodness in here. And sometimes we're afraid to release our goodness for the same reasons that negativity as an involuntary response for what will people think. 
you know, why should I, what's the response going to be? Should I do it, etc., etc.? And so we suppress sometimes the goodness that is on the inside of us because of this involuntary mental response. Now, I'm saying this because you need to be aware because some things that are realities in our lives, we have a, we have a naive unawareness of and don't realize that that's where we go first. We tend to be suspicious before we are accepting. And so uh, th these two clips that we've shown really uh, have some context within that. Uh, and um, isn't it interesting? Negativity and fear hang around for ages. If you have a negative experience or you've been afraid, doesn't it hang around for a long time? And yet joy tends to be fleeting. Now think about that for a moment. You know, joy seems to be a momentary thing, but negativity and fear just hang around. They just hang around and it's hard to get rid of them. It's called in, in psychology a negativity bias. We have a bias towards negativity. Well, you know, a bias is, is when you lean. Well, well, you have a bias because you're overweighted on one side. What we're trying to do is shift the weight to the other side so that we have a positivity bias and we have a joyful bias that makes us more accepting and, uh, and um, uh, more, more contributing to our journey together as people. How many of you notice this? We remember less when people blessed us but struggle to forget when people harmed us. I reckon if we went round the room, you could all pick out who harmed you and when they harmed you and why they harmed you and probably some of you the date and the hour and could remember the exact words before I went round the room and said, tell me when people blessed you. We'd be like, well, um, it's a lot harder, isn't it? to remember when we were blessed, but so easy that we struggle to forget when people harmed us. Because here's the truth, okay? Here's the truth about us. We actually prefer having enemies, apportioning blame, judging, categorizing, condemning, shaming, guilting, demanding reparation, positioning ourselves in the place of humble superiority, and soaking in the pleasing sensation of our own self-righteousness. And I could argue that's when most people's passion comes to the fore. We get really passionate about opposing something and fighting against something. But you see, joy and laughter are not something you have a fight against. They're something you, you just fall into. But you see, we're not used to that. And that's why when we talk about the love of God rather than the wrath of God, it's difficult for many people to accept because we're not used to falling into love. We're used to fighting against wrath. We're used to the anger. And we like the whole idea and it shapes everything that we do. You know, in the church circles I was raised, uh, the way that things like prayer was approached. They used to talk about prayer and intercession. What was interesting is it looked awfully like a spiritual version of, uh, of um, the Colosseum in Rome where you were in there fighting against something or somebody or some beast or some demon or some devil to kill them because that was our mentality, that empirical fighting against. But you see, love and laughter is what you fall into. And that really is the point of the gospel, to be honest. We seem to thrive better, sadly, in and with a scapegoat, a blame culture that exerts cult-like control. I don't like a lot of what's happening right now for this reason, not because I don't care that black lives matter, because black lives do matter, 
and the other issues we're facing. But what does trouble me is when we become a blame culture and a scapegoat culture. Oh, it must be because of them, him, this. And so we try to erase the past, thinking if we erase the past, it will change the present and revolutionize the future. Listen, we're not the first to try that in thousands of years of history. That doesn't work. Martin Luther King knew it didn't work. Nelson Mandela knew it didn't work. Jesus knew it didn't work. And we know that it doesn't work. So scapegoating, that means blaming someone else. Oh, we've got to look for somebody to blame for what's happening. Doesn't get us where we need to go. Anything that uses or threatens violence or fear to intimidate and control is following the age-old empirical models that it claims to oppose. There's no such thing, incidentally, as a perfect world. Perfection is one of the curses of humanity. And it's a curse that's been... It's been magnified by the church. Perfect God, perfect life. You know, we've used terms like holiness, the holiness of God. But you see, the problem with perfection is all it ever does is it puts a burden on you you cannot bear and a guilt that you cannot carry and a condemnation that you cannot deal with because you're trying to be something that you were never meant to be. And what I love about You know, I've got a new love for the Bible because I don't think it's inerrant and I don't think it's infallible, but I think it's brilliant. And what it says in the beginning about the creation narrative in Genesis is that God made it good. Not perfect. Where do we get that idea from? He made it good. And on the seventh day, he said, that's very good. Listen, all you need to aim for is good. That's all, because there's no such thing as a perfect world. But good and wonderful are actually achievable. And we can play a part in that when love and laughter is what we fall into in making the world a good and wonderful place. All the other stuff never will, because it screams and fear don't make for a better world. One of the most difficult yet most effective ways of moving towards this is by simply forgiving reality for what it is. Now that's uncomfortable for all of us in one way or another. But how many of you know reality is what it is? It is what it is because it is what it is. But unless we begin by forgiving reality for what it is because we can't actually change it, we can never start on the journey from screams and fear to love and laughter. Sometimes you just have to forgive reality for what it is. That doesn't make us impotent or inactive or mean that we can't participate in a wide debate or take upon some some project or some idea that is good, but it means forgiveness must be our starting point. Whenever forgiveness is not our starting point, we have not got, here's a good biblical phrase, a cat in hell's chance of succeeding. Right? Forgiveness has to be our starting point. That's why Jesus, even on the cross, said, forgive them, Father. They don't really know what they're doing. Forgiveness was the starting point. So what does it mean to forgive reality for what it is? It means forward momentum, not retrospective blame. It means saying we can move forward if we love, but we can't if we have retrospective blame. 
It means turning your scapegoat into a holy goat. So we've got a new thing here. We are believing in the presence of the Holy Goat. The Holy Goat to me is the opposite to the scapegoat. I stopped trying to find something to blame. You were made to blame. Your sin was made to blame. The devil was made to blame. The world was made to blame. Everything was made to blame. And, and as, um, as, as uh, Scottish comedian Billy... Billy as Billy Connolly said when he was a kid being raised in a Catholic convent school and he used to watch the crucifix with the bleeding Jesus on the cross, he said, all I ever learned there was Jesus died and it's your fault. The problem is that's been massaged in many other ways, but actually that becomes the root of the fear. Jesus died and it's your fault. You're to blame. Well, if I'm to blame, somebody must be to blame for making me to blame. So I'll blame the devil, I'll blame the world, you know, I'll blame the priest, I'll blame the church. But you see, we've got to change our scapegoat into a holy goat. And that holy goat means we embrace this as part of the family. That's what it means to forgive reality for what it is. Love and laughter will energize the community of those who have learned to forgive reality for what it is. So let me finish off by saying this. I've had a bit of a longer talk today, partly because I'm filling time. Um, <laughs> and we also say as well that, that uh, we've built quite a good audience while we've been not here on a wider sphere. And so uh, I'm continuing midweek to do another podcast, broadcast, YouTube. Um, have a listen. It's, it's, it's up to date with where we are on our journey. You could learn something from listening to this last week about cognitive dissonance and about, uh, what's the thingy bias the Confirmation bias. And about crossing thresholds. There'll be another one this week. But, but here, bringing this topical so you get it. We, we have a lot of talk at the moment about sustainable energy sources. And we started off by talking about the energy that powered the world that we were introduced to through Monsters, Inc. And it was, it was fear and screams that powered. That was the energy source for that whole community. And that we've now said, well, they got a revelation that love and laughter provides greater, a greater energy source than fear and screams. So I got to thinking about this, that we're curr currently going through a revolution in how we produce and supply energy to people and industry. And we call it renewable. We call it clean energy. Now, fossil fuels pollute the atmosphere and make the job of power, but make the job of power production a whole lot easier, but in the process are more likely to kill us. But think about what we know as renewable energy. If the wind doesn't blow, the sails don't move, and the turbines don't turn. And this great thing becomes a dormant monument instead of a transforming giant if the wind doesn't blow. So the issue is with the sustainable energy of joy and laughter, you have to always be facing the wind. It's interesting in the Bible how the words for wind and spirit and breath are all the same word. There needs to be a dimension of spirit that we expose ourselves to. 
that allows for those turbines to get spun around so that joy and laughter can be part of who we are. But you see, if we're not facing a wind of change, then we will constantly and always stay in the realm of screams and fear. And that will be all we know to revert to, to control our situation and control our world. But I'm saying there's a new wind, there's a fresh wind blowing that I want us to receive that will turn those blades and get the turbines going so that we become empowered to a greater level by joy and laughter. So here's my Bible verse, Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God, that's this all expression, this all dimension of understanding of what the divine is about is not a matter of eating and drinking that means it's not a matter of ceremonies but of righteousness peace and joy in the holy spirit holy ghost it says in new king james i'm saying joy and peace in the holy ghost three distinguishing factors to this thing called the kingdom of god a righteousness that's accepted and not earned a peace that passes understanding and a joy that's not dis- diminished by circumstance. This is the love and laughter that is the alternative power source that we seek. So I pray you'll face this wind of change, that you'll understand the problem when the power that drives us is the one that comes from screams and fear, which always control us away from the revelation that brings us to life, and you'll turn yourselves to the wind of life that will make this place consistently and always for all of us a place of joy and of laughter, because that is the gospel. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash qchurchyork. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest.